we finished uh, Romans chapter 4. So, beginning this year, we're going to get into Romans chapter 5, right off the jump. We're going to start with it. So, uh, I'll just go ahead. We're going to go through uh, verse 5, 1 through 5 today. The heading, Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. The heading is peace with God, peace of God. And that's verses 1 through 5. That heading is also on your uh, handout that I gave you. So if you need to have a visual of what that looks like, it's on your handout. Peace with God, peace of God. We'll go ahead and read um, from verses 1 through 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope makes not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. So peace with God, peace of God. Uh, Dad, you can go ahead and read uh, in verse one. Therefore being justified by faith. In coming to this place, Paul has clearly come to several conclusions. In Romans chapter one, 18, verse 18, through chapter three, verse 20, he proves man's need for the for righteousness. So we saw in Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 18 through Romans chapter 3, verse 20, that man is in great need for righteousness because we don't have any. And then in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 uh, through verse 30, Paul then shows shows us how such righteousness comes. And how it is appropriated. So how to receive the righteousness that we need. <laughs> and then in Romans chapter 3 verse 31. Through chapter 4 verses 20, verse 25. He shows by the example of Abraham. And the testimony of David. That righteousness appropriated by faith. Does not upset. But rather establishes the spiritual order. Revealed in the Old Testament. So that's kind of a rundown of everything that we've gotten to up to this point. And then here we are, Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, the apostle now enlarges on the happiness and security of the justified, and especially on their assurance of God's love and of future blessedness. Justification is the action of a judge declaring a prisoner innocent. The accused says nothing and does nothing. The judge is the sole actor. He justifies the man, i.e. he declares him righteous. And that's Williams that actually said that. I don't, I'm not 100% sure his first name, but Williams said that. <laughs> so the work of justification uh, comes about as one expresses simple faith in Christ and what he did at Calvary and the resurrection. So, uh, if you notice right here in chapter 5, the very first word that you see is therefore. 
And uh, the rule is, anytime you see the word therefore, you should ask yourself, what's it therefore? <laughs> what's it therefore? What's it therefore? The word therefore, anytime you see therefore, you should say, okay, wait a minute, why is that word, what's, why is that word there? What is it therefore? Uh, most of the time when you see therefore, it's the, the writer, Paul, in this case, Paul, Paul is saying, because of what I have already showed you and told you, because of everything that I've already said from verse from Romans chapter one, verse one, all the way through chapter four, verse twenty-five. Yeah, twenty-five. Therefore, because of all of that, being justified by faith. So Paul, by using the word therefore, points to a conclusion. In verses 1 through 8 of Romans chapter 4, he tells us that we are not justified by works. Whenever it was originally written, none of the books had chapters, none of the books in the Bible had verses, none of that stuff. So we have it divided up into chapters and verses and different paragraph headings. We have it divided up like that. But when it was written, it was more like just a letter, just a straight letter. So we say, okay, well, chapter 5 is different than chapter 4. Well, it would have just been a letter, so it kind of would have fit together uh, mm -hmm. pretty well. Uh, so even though we say, for, you know, all these verses, really, if you can view it as, like it's, because sometimes I know I do, if it's a different chapter, okay, we're talking about something different here. <laughs> but that's not the case. Everything goes together. And that's why when you study or you read, you always have to study and read in context. And that doesn't mean just in the context of that verse, but it also means in the context of the chapter, and then in the context of the book as a whole, and then in the context of the Testament as a whole, and then the Bible as a whole. If you do that, congratulations, you interpret it in context. And that, if, honestly, if we would practice that regularly, you wouldn't have a lot of false doctrine, you wouldn't have a lot of error, because... When you just pluck something out and you don't interpret it mm -hmm. within the whole yeah. of the verse and the chapter and the book and then the testament and then the Bible, you're gonna you're gonna misinterpret, you're gonna misunderstand it. But if you do it like that, it always connects with everything else. So it, it prevents you from coming up with whatever you come up with. <laughs> so uh, in verses one through eight of Romans chapter four. Paul tells us that we are not justified by works. You're not, you're not made right with God, and you're not made. Uh, yeah, that's it. If you're, not, you're not made right with God based off of what you do or don't do. That's what Paul expressed in verses one through eight, and then in verses nine through twelve, he then adds that ordinances. You can't be right with God through ordinances either. Uh, and then law obedience in verses 13 through 25. Uh, he shows you can't be you can't be justified through law obedience either. Mm -hmm. uh, these three things never give peace to the soul. Faith does. So you can set out to have works. Okay, so work. Say I'm going to set out and I'm going to try to live for God by work, works, good works. Well. 
no matter how many good works I do, the one thing that I'm never going to have is peace in my heart that says I'm right with God. I won't ever have that. At the end, I'll, whether people admit it or not, at the end, when it's time for me to die, the thing that I'm going to wonder is, did I do enough? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Did I do enough? Am I doing enough? Did I do enough good works? Did I feed enough people? Did I help enough people? Did, you see, the, did I, it's always, did I do enough? You're never going to feel like you did it. You, you'll never have peace. And then we take that same thought into uh, ordinances, like church ordinances. So, okay, well, you're right with God. What is an ordinance? Baptism would be considered an ordinance uh, oh, okay. or a sacrament, depending on the denomination, sacramental ordinances or similar in the sense of that. There are things that we communion church. When we take communion, that's an ordinance. Yeah, so, yeah, stuff like that. So, okay, I'm not, if I set out to, okay, what, water baptism. If you're water baptized, then you have to be water baptized in order to be right with God. That's an ordinance. That's an ordinance. Water baptism is an ordinance, church ordinance. Now, it is scriptural, but it isn't scriptural that you have to be water baptized in order to be saved and right with God. You don't get justification by from God because you got dunked in water. <laughs> you get you get justification by God because you believe in Christ and what He's done for you. Uh, water baptism is just an outward showing of what's already happened on the inside. So, but if you say, "Okay, well, we, you know, by ordinances, I'm going to be right with God based off of ordinances." You won't. You will not have peace in your heart because all somebody has to say is, "What well, did you do it right?" <laughs> yeah. Oh my! What do you mean? Did I do it right? Well, what 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 formula were you water baptized under? Yeah. Well, um, well, I was, and then and then you don't have any peace. It's got turmoil. You got turmoil like crazy because oh, you got you got to you have to do it up the right way. You gotta have on red. Bait. You gotta. That's right. You gotta have. If you don't have on a red bathing suit, you get water baptized. <laughs> and because you, you gotta have red, because that's a type of the blood of Jesus. Yeah, so you gotta right. have that. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. So we're coming across. We don't wear bathing suits. We don't wear bathing suits. Right. <laughs> of course. Of course. Why would I? I can tell. If you think that that's gonna make you right with God, then. And you, I mean, I'm talking about you actually believe that. And you set out for church ordinance. Keeping church ordinances is the way that I'm going to be right with God. Then you don't, you're not going to have peace. You won't have peace. It's not, it cannot give you peace. You're really giving a good example as to why works and all these and religious activities don't give you the peace of God. Because... What he said earlier that it it what's enough that's the key what's enough you always have that that I do enough yeah. did I get I've had people concerned that they need to get baptized again maybe that they didn't do it right or didn't or how many times do I need to take communion uh, am I taking it enough so there's that. You know, did I go to church enough? Did I 
did I do enough? And, and, and it's never, uh, it, it's never, it's never enough in our own mind. And just when we think maybe it's enough, somebody is going to come along and knock us off our, and tell you that, well, uh, that wasn't enough or that wasn't right and cause that doubt all over again. You'd have to believe the faith in it. But, yeah. Yeah. we would. And that's the thing. It, it, and then it becomes something that's not yeah. by faith alone. It's by, you know, so. Uh, I'm sorry. Then, so after ordinances, then we'll look at the next law obedience. So then you say, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be right with God by law obedience. And we've already discussed this definitely a lot. Yeah. Uh, if, if that's the route that you set out, then you are going to be up and down, up and, and it won't just be a little bit. I'm not talking like, well, some days I'm just a little down. I mean, it's going to be like a roller coaster ride. You are going to be at the peak whenever you feel like you're doing good. So, um, law obedience would be, uh, let's say, okay, well, I, 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 I have no, no covetousness. I don't want anything that's not mine. <laughs> um, I haven't lied. I didn't steal anything. I did, you know, no, 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 uh, I kept all the commandments. I kept all the commandments. No, no idolatry. No, n none of that stuff. If that's the way that you can, and that's just the Ten Commandments. We're not even talking about laws that another man will put on you. That's just you know, the ones that you'll put on yourself. See, that's the ones that we're deceived the most about. But we'll just go ahead and think, commandments. Here are these laws. Okay, well, I'm keeping it. Well, maybe, maybe for, a, you know, a, a five minutes. <laughs> maybe for five minutes, you don't, there, you, 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 no covetous, no lying, no nothing. But then, and so you're doing, you're, you're like cloud nine when you're, you, when you feel like, I'm killing this. God, man. God is pleased with me. God is pleased with me right now. And in that moment, you will feel like you have peace. But it's a false peace. It's not a, a God-given peace. You actually have pride and self-righteousness. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it deceives you because you feel like, well, no, I'm, I'm pleasing to God. And you feel like you have peace only because nothing's going wrong. But let you bust your face <laughs> and fail to keep a commandment. Like, say you get put in a, a situation that you just find that telling a lie is just a lot easier than telling the truth. Telling the truth is going to cost me. But if I tell a lie, I might be able to get out of it. So you tell a lie. Now you broke, now you broke the law. Now you now your law of obedience is shot. Mm -hmm. You've broken that. And when you fail like that, when you sin and you fail, now it's like what my dad talked about this morning. Now you feel like God hates you. You are just an enemy of God. And you are just, he wants nothing to do with you. He has just absolutely thrown you out, kicked you out, doesn't want anything to do with you. You're no longer, you don't have peace. Your peace is totally gone. Yeah. Because now you're failing. Mm -hmm. 
If you're not failing, you feel like everything's good, I'm pleasing to God, and it's really just self-righteousness. And then when you fail, now you feel like I'm not even saved. That's it, I'm not even saved. If I die right now, I'm going to hell. If if I were to die right now, that's it, I'm not going to make it to heaven because I failed. Because your object of faith is, is your obedience to law. Your ability to keep. That's really your object of faith. You keeping the law. But if that is your object of faith, you are going, I mean, it's like a roller coaster, man. You are going to be up. And when you're doing good, and praise God, I'm going to heaven. (laughs) This is it. Praise God. God, please with me. My Lord, thank you, Jesus. And other people should be like me. I mean, we don't say it, but that's kind of how we act sometimes. Because you're, you feel like you're doing good. I mean, if you act for, for like, for a month, if you got up and you prayed every morning for a month, for an hour in the morning, and then at lunchtime, you, you spent time in the Word, and then at night, you spent two hours in prayer. If you did that for a month, oh, you would start feeling it, too. <laughs> you would be like, man, praise God. Praise God. If the Lord comes back right now, I'm going to be in first class on the rapture. First class rapture right here. That's where I'm going to be because I, for, I'm, I'm doing so good. And really, you know, it's a month. Take a, a month compared to the whole lifetime, and you ain't done nothing. But to us, because we only live by each moment, it's like, man, dude, I'm killing it right now. Dude, the Lord is so pleased with me. And if you prayed like I did, Pastor, the Lord would be pleased with you too. If you did this, see, that's what you you have that a lot in churches. And it's and from the leadership down, even. I'm talking about leadership down. Now, there's a difference between. Exhorting a congregation in something that's beneficial. Like if my dad preaches on prayer. That's a different, that's a different, I mean, it, it, that's a, he's exhorting the congregation. But the problem that you run into is when it becomes a personal thing. Every morning I get up and I do this, this, and this. And if you do that, You will be as good as me. That's like that's pretty much what I'm saying. Yeah, it's really strong. It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Yep, it's hard. It's hard, and that's exactly. And then, but that's kind of the that's kind of the attitude. And the problem is, in a lot of church, the congregation just buys right into that, almost as if the pastors, you know. Sometimes our answer to other people who are going through stuff is the very thing that we think we're doing well. In other words, you know, uh, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. You know, what do I need to do? We just need to pray. Because that's what I do. Or family, I, I pray, you know, I and uh, it works for me. And, 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 and so what we're doing well at the moment, that's what we tell everybody else. Now, come in a month and ask me the same thing. And I might not say pray because I might not be doing that really well. I might be like, you know, well, well, you just need to read the Bible. <laughs> you get different you know? 
You know, what about praying? Well, you know, uh, uh, we tried that. I'm not praying as much as I used to, but, but I'm reading my Bible more. You know, and <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's the thing. It, it's constantly change. It'll constantly change. It constantly change. And uh, it, there's a, it's there is, it is. It's kind of an unhealthy thing. I say kind of. It is unhealthy, and it, it does happen in a lot of churches because um, sometimes the 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 uh, pastor or the leadership at the church is viewed as if almost like, man, those people, they're on another level yeah. with God. You know, like, man, they're like, they're just in the throne room of God every day. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, trying to make it. I mean, that's, that's kind of the attitude of a lot of people that are just in a congregation at a church is that the pastor and the leadership Man, God just, they just float on clouds all the time. And then, you know, they they bring the word to us because we need it. They don't, they, not them, no. but we really need it. And just, God's just rays of sunshine. It never rains on them. <laughs> and that's a, that's a lie from the enemy. Uh, that is the biggest lie ever. Uh, that's not how it works. <laughs> Just tell you that. Just tell you that right now. <laughs> that is not how it works. Um, but it, so that's just you know that's that's just an unhealthy view, and it's definitely not like that. My dad can attest to that, and anybody that's been in ministry any period of time can attest that that's not. But so back to the uh, so the, if if it's law obedience, you see how you can't you won't have peace because it's. Up and down, up and down. It's like being on a roller coaster, and eventually you don't get sick, <laughs> and you'll get sick of it. Uh, and the truth is, God wants you to, so He's going to let He's going to make those highs and lows seem a lot worse. He'll allow He'll allow the high to go a lot higher, and He'll allow the low to go a lot lower, in order to get you to see something is not right. Uh, so no peace. None of those things will give you peace. Uh, but we're about to show you what it does. Okay? Justified by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, therefore, being justified by faith. So it goes back to what Paul talked about in. In chapter 4 that we're justified we're made right with God and we're given the verdict of innocent and not guilty because of what our faith in the sacrifice because of our faith in Christ and what he did at Calvary that is when that's how we got justification it was by faith not by works not by ordinance not by law obedience but by faith we believed in who Christ was and what he did at the cross. And that the only thing that we believed, that we knew to believe, when we first got saved was that he died for me. And I can have my sins washed away if I say yes to Jesus and accept him as my Lord and Savior. That's all you knew, but that was enough. Because the, the, the thing that really happened was you placed your faith in in Christ. You placed your faith in Christ and what he did at the cross. You had the right, you just had the right object of faith like that. 
man. And that's when the Holy Spirit bore witness with your, you were quickened, you were made alive, you were once dead spiritually, you were dead. But when you believed, when you had the right object of faith, you became alive spiritually. Now you could sense the presence of God. You could feel it. Whereas once before you could not. Now you could feel it. You could sense God. That was the Holy Spirit taking residence up in your heart and life. He now lives there in your heart, in your life. He lives in you. Now this isn't, that's not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's a separate work of grace. But the, the moving in, you, you're a new creation. You're now alive spiritually. You can feel the presence of God. And then the Holy Spirit bore witness with your spirit. And basically on the inside, the Holy Spirit told your spirit, your sins are gone. And you believed him because he took what was of Christ and he showed it to you in your heart. In the Gospel of John, it's Jesus said, I'm going to send, I'm going to go away and you're going to get another comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he said, he will do nothing but take that which is of me and show it to you. The Holy Spirit is going to take what Christ did at Calvary and the benefits of what he did. And he's going to make that real to your heart and your life. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. In, in, in Revelation it says, uh, the Spirit, it said the Spirit and the Bride say come. Well the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, says come, come to what? To Christ and what he did at Calvary. Come to the cross. And the bride, that's the church. We're supposed to be saying the same thing that the Holy Spirit is saying. But yet, we, most of the time we are. Which is, by the way, that's one of my favorite passages. <laughs> uh, anyways, that's not anyway. <laughs> So, that's what was happening. The Holy Spirit was making real to your spirit that your sins are gone. They don't exist anymore. They've been washed away by the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit took a benefit of Calvary and made it real to your heart personally. And you believed it. And you, and you had and the all and the emotions came with it. It's not that you don't feel anything. God gave us emotions for a reason. The problem is he never gave us emotions to dominate us and drive us. But when, when the fall happened, everything was corrupted. Even our emotions became corrupted. And a lot of times we're just controlled by our emotions. That was never God's plan. But it doesn't mean that emotion is bad. You're going to feel emotion. If, when, when the Holy Spirit makes real to me that my sins are gone... And that God sees that they, it's like they never even existed. And I stand before him as though I've never failed one single time. When the Holy Spirit makes that real to me, I'm, I, there's an emotional response. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I'm going to cry. Sometimes I'm going to shout. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'm going to take off like a, a bottle rocket. <laughs> I'm going to go out. I'm going to run. Yeah. 
I'm going to jump. All of these, that's a response. So emotion isn't bad. I don't want you to think that emotion is bad. Emotion is going to come with it. And it should. It should. When it really affects you, emotion will be there. Uh, so now, through faith, is how we get peace with God. So he said, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture says. This points to justifying peace. In other words, a legal standing with God, which does not and in fact cannot change. There are two types of peace incumbent upon the believer. Now these are in your notes and I, I, I would suggest you follow them because it's a lot of information. Uh, so there's two types of peace incumbent upon the believer. The first is justifying peace. This is, a, this is peace with God. And as stated, a legal standing. That which we are currently studying in this verse. So in this verse, it's talking about, Paul's talking about justifying peace. That peace is peace with God and as stated, a legal standing. And you got that through faith in Christ Jesus. You got that through Christ. Anytime you see in Christ, through Christ, in Him, there's like 50 million different things. All of that means what Jesus did at the cross. It's talking about, that's really what Paul's referring to, the cross. So this is justifying peace. There is an enmity between God and unredeemed man. It is because of unconfessed and unrepented sin, and more particularly, because of the sinner's refusal to accept God's plan of redemption, the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. The word enmity means mutual hatred or ill will. So we, before you got saved, you were an enemy of God. There was enmity, enmity between you and God. There was mutual hatred. God was against you and you didn't want to have anything to do with God. The sinner doesn't want to have anything to do with God and God is angry with the wicked every day. And you see that in Psalms chapter 7 verse 11. In other words, there is a war going on between God and unredeemed man. However, God feels this enmity more than the sinner, simply because it is God who has been wronged and offended and not man. As a result of this war, there is no peace between God and the sinner. When the sinner hears the word of God and is convicted by the Holy Spirit, he is made to feel his wrong against God. Consequently, this is where repentance comes in. Uh, and my dad actually talked about that this morning. He said that a lot of, he, he's a, he fears that a lot of people, they, they never really come to Christ. They may come to an altar and say a prayer, but they never really come to Christ and accept Him as Lord and Savior because they never see their need for a Savior. That's like the number one thing that has to happen <laughs> in order for you to get saved. To see that I need to be saved. Otherwise, you, you know, 
you'll never reach out for a savior if you don't think you need to be saved. Uh, and he's right that it, that probably happens a whole lot more than what we'd like to think. Uh, that it's not really about Jesus. It's more about our own kingdom. And if God will just help me in my kingdom, my little kingdom, building my own kingdom. If God will help me build my kingdom. And right now, in the process of building my kingdom, I kind of messing stuff up and I'm in a bind, so I kind of need some help from God. But then after that's all taken care of, I'm see, I was never really about Christ or His kingdom. It was still really all about me, and and God was basically a glorified bellhop at that moment. So I just come to Him. Really not to get to know him or to seek his face at all or accept him as savior, but really just for his hand. It's all about what he can do for me. That's how a lot of Christians are. Upon faith by the sinner, all sin is washed away by the blood of Jesus. With the enmity instantly removed, the new believer now has justifying peace which is a result of justification. This type of peace is abiding and never changes and is what Paul is speaking about here in this verse. So justifying peace is the peace that you have to know that you are not at war with God anymore. I'm right with God. Justifying peace says I'm right with God. I'm right with God. I'm not, I'm not in enmity with God anymore. I don't hate God. I love God now. And God doesn't hate me. <laughs> I'm right with God now. That's justifying peace. And that happens when you get saved. Justification. The second peace is sanctifying peace. This is the peace of God in the heart. While the first has to do with justification, the second has to do with sanctification. The first is the result of a legal standing. So we have that legal standing with God as innocent. He's declared us innocent as though we've never sinned and never failed one time. That's the legal standing. It is a legal thing. The second, the sanctifying piece, is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit. The first is static and never fluctuates. You're the... the uh, Verdict, the verdict that God has decided in his courtroom in heaven is that you are innocent of all charges. As though you've never failed one time, that you are basically in the eyes of God perfect. That's a verdict that you get. And guess what? There isn't. Ain't no double jeopardy in heaven either. So if that has been decided then it's been decided. Yeah. As long as you're in Christ, it's as if you've never sinned. Now that's a little bit harder sometimes when you when you see in your present life, I am failing. <laughs> I am failing. And you have to believe by faith that that verdict over you is still the same as long as your faith is in Christ. That verdict over your life is still the same. 
God still sees it as though you've never failed in Christ. So it's static and it never fluctuates. The second changes almost from hour to hour. Our sanctifying peace seems to change from hour to hour. If we're doing good, we're doing good. If we're doing bad, man, we're doing bad. <laughs> the first every Christian has, every Christian has justifying peace to know that I'm saved. The second every Christian may have, that means it's not a guarantee. The only way, I'll tell you this, the only way to get sanctifying peace is to have the right object of faith. If you don't have your faith in Christ and the cross, you're saved. But you will not have sanctifying peace. You will be miserable. Miserably saved. That's what uh, Brother Bob coined that phrase from uh, at Bible College. He said, you'd be saved. They're, they're, people, they're saved, but miserably saved. Because they're failing and they don't have sanctifying peace. Uh, to help kind of understand this a little bit better, I'm going to give you some examples. So an example of justifying peace and sanctifying peace. When Israel was told by Moses to apply the blood to the doorpost, this represented justifying peace. If you apply the blood to the doorpost and you remain in the house, I will pass over you. You apply the blood to the doorpost and you'll be passed over. So they apply the blood to the doorpost, justifying peace. It will not change. Many Israelites that fateful night went to bed and slept well. That sanctifying peace. Mm -hmm. That's good. The blood was on the doorpost and they trusted and believed what God said. Right. He said that if you put, put this door, the, if you put the blood on the doorpost, then when the death angel comes, he will, uh, he said, I will, I'll pass over you. Meaning, I'm not going to come in and take your firstborn son. I'm not going to come in and kill the firstborn. I'm going to pass over that household. If the blood is on the doorpost, I'm going to pass over. So if, if we had, say this was, would bring it to us right now. If all of a sudden, that, you know, that's what God said. We need to put the blood on the door, blood of the lamb. We need to put that on the doorpost. And God, the death angel's coming tonight. He's going to pass by this house. And if we stay in this house and the blood's on the doorpost, he's going to pass over. Now, if you are able to trust God and sleep really well tonight, knowing that the blood's applied, so he's going to pass over. <laughs> he's going to pass over. Mm -hmm. And nobody's going to die. Then you have sanctifying peace. However, you can imagine that many did not sleep well that night. While they had justifying peace, they did not have sanctifying peace. The blood was on the doorpost, and they had ju that justification, justifying peace. Because the blood was on the doorpost, God was going to pass by. But they struggled believing and trusting that He was going to pass by. Is He really going to pass by? He said that if we put the blood on the doorpost, he would pass by. But as the time gets closer, is he really going to pass by? Or 
The problem is a lack of trust on their part, which robbed them of this peace. And yet their justifying peace was not disturbed in the least because the blood was on the doorpost. God was always going to pass by because of the blood. The problem was they didn't trust. So because of the lack of trust, they didn't have any sanctifying peace. You kind of see the difference. That's good. Uh, the, the name, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the resurrection name of the Savior, which guarantees our justification. And we just looked at that in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. It says, Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our just for our justification. That word peace uh, in the Greek is a word I cannot say. Uh, nor will I give it a shot. <laughs> and it is E-I-R-E-N-E. -E, and it should be on your hand out there. E-I-R-E-N-E. -E, and it means to bind together that which has been separated. So that brings more clarity now to what we're saying. In Christ, remember we were once, each one of us were once uh, at enmity with God. We were at war with God. But in Christ Jesus, we are bound together with God again. That the binding together uh, it'd be like a uh, kind, of, I get, kind of like I guess you could say kind of like a rope where each strand is an individual strand and at that moment they are not they're not at peace but once those strands of that rope once each strand gets woven in then it becomes a rope and if you have a bunch of strands at peace, they're now to bind together that which has been separated. So at one time they were separated, but then through braiding them, they become bound together as though it's one. And then you have one rope, but that one rope is made up of different strands. We were separate from God. But in Christ, in the person of Christ, we are now bound back together with God. That's how close that you are to God. That, that's why somebody says, well, you need to do this in order to get closer to God. That's a lie. In Christ, you're as close as you're going to get. You can't get any closer than binding together. Right. You're bound together. How are you going to get... Remember Jesus told his disciples in the book of John, in the gospel of John, he said that, uh, that you'll know that I'm in you, you're in me, and I'm in the Father. We're in Christ, and Christ is in the Father. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're bound, to you bound together. <laughs> you're close. <laughs> One of the things we talk about being in Christ, that's like one of my professors, he said, you're, you, it's like the way that, you know, you're in Christ. Right now, you are in the person of Christ. You are in Christ, Jesus.
He's in heaven and you are actually in him. That's why Paul used the word baptism. That you're baptized into Christ. Because the whole idea of baptism is that you are submerged into the water. You are fully in the water. The whole idea for us, what he was trying to say was that you are fully in Christ. So, so much so that when Christ died on the cross, you died. That when Christ was buried, you were buried. When Christ rose the third day and came out of the tomb, guess where you were? He was coming out the tomb with them. Because you are in Christ. When he ascended, guess where you were? You, you didn't all of a sudden jump out of Christ. You were in him. So much that his ascension is your ascension. That's why it's that's why it's guaranteed. It's a guarantee. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You are in Him. Which means right now, you are seated at the right hand of the Father. That's it. You are in Him. That's where you are right now. What we can see right now is that we are in... Sitting in His home, studying this. But in the eyes of God, we're each seated at the right hand of the Father. As though we've already been glorified. That's why God looks at us and says, you're perfect. You're perfect. As though you never failed. You're perfect. Now for us, that's like, no way, heck no. You should see every day you can walk with me. Every day you find out I'm not perfect. But that's not how God sees it. Because you're in Christ. You have died. It's a really, really good thing. <laughs> that's a really good thing and I'll admit sometimes it can be yeah, I'll be honest you need a revelation from the spirit of God you need a revelation from the Holy Spirit to really grasp it because we, we can only see the natural we can't see what God sees but that's how God views it so that's why Paul used baptism so we are that's how joined together you really are with God. I mean, you it, the peace is you are bound back together with God. You were we were separated because of the fall. And then through Christ brought back together. That's why Christ, faith in what Christ has done is the only thing that can give you peace. Everything else won't. That's why law keep things can't bring you peace. That's why ordinances can't, none of those things can bind you back together with God. They can only make you feel self-righteous or absolutely condemned. But in Christ, there is therefore no condemnation. And what you feel now is that you're you're joined back together with him on a daily basis. I'm in Christ and he's in the Father. 
that's how close we really are. I, I, I even, even teaching it and talking about, it, I, I, I can admit that I don't fully, you know, mentally, it's not. Sometimes it just doesn't. But somewhere down the road, like I said, you're gonna be, you're gonna wake up at three a.m. and then, whoop, light bulb. Oh, that's what that means. I'm in hell. Uh, that happened to me at Bible college about 2 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> Justification hit me. Bang, I woke up. I woke up and I just wanted to just, I, I, honestly, I just wanted to take off running down the hall, but it's, you know, 2 a.m., so that's probably frowned upon. <laughs> but it, I, the revelation, it got, it dropped from my head to my heart at about 2 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> you know, so I'm talking about, you were talking about the three core, I'm just kind of stuck there because I guess the Lord was ministering to me there, but talking about the three chord strand. You know, God the Father and Jesus, and we are woven with Him. You know, um, in that rope, we don't unweave to do our own thing. He's the lead. We are completely moved in Him, completely. So it really kind of helps you see how much we can really overcome the flesh, that we don't have to be pulled here and there with things. You know what I'm saying? To really understand that if we're really woven in Him, we go where He pulls us. We move where He moves. We do what He does. Yeah, if He is the if He's the object of your faith, right. that's the that's that's the key to everything. Right. The work's been accomplished. All of it's been done. Right. But that's why we can rest in Him. It's the yeah the, exactly. You can rest in what's been done. And you don't you, you you don't have to feel like what my dad was talking about this morning that well I'm saved I'm not saved I'm saved if I'm doing good I'm saved but the moment I'm failing my weaknesses are being seen and shown then oh goodness I'm not saved now that's it but that that's you don't have peace you you've you're you've been robbed of your sanctifying peace um, but right here Paul's talking about justifying peace. That you have that justifying peace with God, that you you you're joined back together with Him in Christ. That's why I said, uh, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Uh, talking about justifying peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through what Jesus did at Calvary, we are joined back together with God. And we have peace that we are. Uh, I, that's a good thing because, like I said, I, I need that. Because sometimes, sometimes I don't feel like that. Uh, in other words, our Lord made peace through the blood of His cross. Uh, Colossians 1.20 Through His atonement, He binds together again those who by reason of their standing in the first Adam had been separated from God. And who now, through faith in Christ, are bound again to God in their new standing in the last Adam. The Lord Jesus Christ. This is justification. He stands in the presence of God, guiltless and uncondemned and righteous, in a righteousness which God accepts in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you stand right now before the throne of God 
as though you're perfectly righteous because it's the righteousness of Christ that you have. And that's what God sees. When He looks at you, if you're in Christ, your faith is in Christ. If you're in Christ, God sees you as though you are Christ. Mm -hmm. he, he looks at each one of us and sees His Son. Thank God He doesn't see Tanner. <laughs> but when He looks at me, He sees Jesus. I don't. And you guys wouldn't see Jesus. <laughs> Stay with me for any period of time. <laughs> but God, when he looks at me, sees Jesus because of my faith. That's why it's so important that we look at each other the same way. If God sees our brothers and sisters in Christ that way, then we should too. Instead of seeing their faults and failures and weaknesses. Because we have the same thing. It might not be in the same area, but we have the same thing. Uh, we have peace with God because He has justified us by faith. He has declared us innocent. We are no longer at war with God. Uh, there is no way possible that we are going to get through verse 5 uh, tonight. Which I, I figured was going to happen. There's actually a lot... Uh, as you can tell from the notes, the handout is five pages for five verses. <laughs> so there's a lot of definitions, but a lot of information, the two piece, you know, two types of piece and everything. Uh, and it, I, honestly, we probably uh, will be done for tonight, but we might, you might find that we might be moving a little bit slower. Um, that's okay. I expected that. Uh, really, chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, these are all vitally important that we really understand. So we might slow down a little bit than what we have been, and that's, that's okay, though. Don't worry. We're going to get through this. The Lord's going to help us, but it is important that we see. Uh, so I know it's a lot of information in the different uh, types of pieces. Did, did everybody understand the different types of peace? The truth is, I struggle with sanctifying peace a lot of times because I personally see all my failures. The finished work of Calvary is done. What Jesus did is enough. And man, I'll, be, I'll be honest, when I'm doing good, Praise God. The finished work of Calvary is enough. <laughs> but when I'm failing, often, when I get faced with a situation or a circumstance that puts me in a bit of a pressure cooker and the flesh rises up and I look more like an old man on a daily basis than I do the new man in Christ, I personally really, I lose that sanctifying peace. It's robbed from me because when I'm failing consistently, I feel, I personally, I feel like, is it really enough? 
that that it, that doubt and all of that starts to creep in. Part of it's just because you just keep failing. You keep failing, you keep failing, you keep failing, and you know it's wrong, and you don't want to. You have a desire to live for God. You have a desire to do the right thing and not the wrong thing, but you find that you keep doing the wrong thing. <laughs> and you have that verdict of innocent and not guilty. But as you continue to fail, see, sin is like acid to your faith. It just slowly eats it away. Where once you seemed like you were so strong. And then some failures come. And now all of a sudden, it's, I, went, I go from, I, I know and believe that the finished work of Calvary is enough. And I'm accepted in the love. To, man, I pray that it's enough. <laughs> because, man, I'm blowing it. I'm blowing it. And I, I, I pray and pray that he does see Christ when he looks at me. And he doesn't see me. Because if he saw me, then he, uh, he could just wipe me off the face of the earth because of sin. Because that, that's the penalty for sin is death. And that, that you're never, we're never as mature as we think we are. We're never as far along as we think we are. I, I, went, to, I went to Bible college and had this just every day, Eight hours a day, pretty much. Chapel services, everything. I feel like I went to more church in two years than I did my entire life. And my dad was a pastor. <laughs> we were just totally just, you know, it was constantly. And then I left Bible college. And now it's not so much of a, it's not that much. As much as that. And I find um, when the failures come now, well, I'm not as far along as I thought I was in this walk of faith. Oh yeah, but brother, you went to two years of Bible college and had this drilled into you. Yeah, sure did. <laughs> sure did, but when the bullets are flying on the battlefield, It's one thing to just be able to quote it, quote it, quote it. But when you're in that situation and you've been hit with an arrow from the enemy, you might be able to quote all you want. But the truth is, and Dr. Brother Swagger said it one time, you know, I remember Joseph saying it too. Um, you know, when you're failing, you, just, you can throw out theology. <laughs> when you're failing, it doesn't really help you. 
And then he said, but if you don't quit, God won't quit anymore. He can fail and fail. He can blow it. He can blow it 99 times. 100. And then the number, you can blow it an infinity amount of times. But if you get up, then you'll be right there. You'll be right there every single time. I personally don't even understand why. A lot of times I'm like, why did you not just give up on me? Obviously, I'm really hard headed or something, man. I'm just not getting this. But he's there every time. I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful. Amen. But the, the sanctifying peace is it, it just a struggle with that, especially when I'm blowing it. <laughs> not every once in a while. I mean, consistently blowing it. And I don't even understand why. I find that's when I find how much I really trust. And how much I really believe that the finished work of Calvary is enough. And it's never as much as I think. <laughs> uh, the truth is our faith is never 100% pure in Christ and the cross. We think it is, but it is, it's always a mixture. The sanctification process has a whole lot to do with purifying your faith because we may have our object of faith as Christ and the cross. It doesn't mean that you don't, he's not your object of faith at all. He is, but there's other things too. You can actually be a mixture. You can be an you can be, you can have Christ as your object of faith, but then yet still have some dependence upon your own self. All at the same time. And then the trial comes, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but the trial comes to show you that you have faith in something else as well. And it gets you, it, it's intended to tear that down. And then your faith will be placed more in Christ alone. But you're a mixture. Right now, each one of us in here are a mixture of faith. You have faith in Christ and the cross. And you have it in other things that you don't even know about. And in the right time, God will reveal it to you. <laughs> but that's... I, I saw uh, Brother Bob did a... Uh, a thing that was really helpful for me. Basically, it was two bubbles. There's like a bubble here and a bubble here. And it was faith in, one of these would be faith in, uh, faith in Christ. And the other would be faith in law. Or, you know, you could put anything. But when you get saved, your life's like a mixture. You, you have both. You have faith in Christ. It's not that you don't have faith in Christ at all. You do. But you still have faith in other things. So through the sanctification process, it's God separating little by little. And it separates little by little. And what you are is just hanging, you know, at first you had a full-on mixture. 20 years from now, 
If you keep on trusting the Lord and keep your faith right in the cross of Christ, and as God works in your heart and life through the Holy Spirit, it'll be less law or whatever faith in you know something else less, and it'll be more. It'll be a little bit purer, and a little bit purer, and a little bit purer, until eventually, never on this side of glory, <laughs> because the sanctification process is endless for us. But it's just a process of separating, mm -hmm. purifying your faith. That's why a good example is, uh, you know, the purification process of gold or silver mm -hmm. in Scripture. There, there is always there's more impurities. Draws. There's more dross in that silver, <laughs> and the only way to get it out right. is to heat it up. So you heat it up. So at first, it's, it was all, it's always been silver, though. Mm -hmm. But then you got to heat it up and draw scum, and that's taken off. And now you have it's still silver. It's just a little bit pure. Mm -hmm. And then that fire's got to be turned up a little bit more, and then more dross comes to the surface, and then that has to be scooped off, and it's still silver. It's just a little bit purer than it was before. That's how your faith. That's get, that's that, get ready. That's the process we're in <laughs> for our and that's purifying our faith. Got to apply the fire. Got to apply the fire. And the dross, the flesh, faith in other things rises to the surface. And a lot of times we get mad when it happens, and we'll defend it. <laughs> we will. Yeah, we don't like the fire, and then we'll justify, you know, having faith, having our faith in something else. We'll, we'll try to find a way to justify it. And the fire's hot, and it's rising to the surface. <laughs> and we try to push it back down. <laughs> and we try to justify it. We'll try any, you know, anything. And that fire just, and he, and, and God is so patient, he'll just wait. He's not in a hurry. He'll just wait and wait and wait until finally it comes to the top. And when we see it, we say, dang, we recognize it. We stop trying to justify it. Yeah. We recognize it and we say, oh, that's not right. And we allow him to just take it from us instead of holding on to it with the grip. Like, no, I need this. He'll take it from us. And I'll tell you, it's worth it's worth it every time. The fire is not fun. But when he finally scoops it off, and you, your own self, reap the benefits of pure faith. Well, I, one of the benefits for me. For pure, for my going through things that purified my faith was it helped me to see that I can trust Him yeah. mm -hmm. and I don't have to run. Mm -hmm. It taught me, and we're going to see this in, coming up. It taught me how to abide. Bible college taught me a whole lot more than doctrine, yeah. it taught me how to abide. In the text and in the trial, when it hurt, it hurt my heart.
There were days at Bible college it felt like my heart was ripped open and bleeding out. Nobody could see on the outside. But on the inside, that's what it felt like. I'm just bleeding out. That my heart was so broken that I was literally, if that's, what it, that's the best way I can explain it. It feels like on the inside you're bleeding out. You're, it, you're just so crushed. But I learned how to abide in the tribe with Christ. It doesn't mean that the whole thing's fun. It's not really not fun. But what I learned in that trial, whenever I finally didn't run, and I stayed, I learned more about Christ in that period of time. I wouldn't take it back. I wouldn't trade that moment. I wouldn't trade it for the world now because of what I have in Christ. That what I've seen and learned experientially, not head knowledge about what I have in Christ. I can have joy no matter where I'm at. Even if I'm in the worst place in my life itself, all the outward things look horrible. I can have so much joy. And I learned that all from not running. <laughs> but if I would have ran, I never would have learned that. And God scooped it up. Dropped it dropped. And then in a sense, what God did was scoop that dross off from my faith. <clears throat> and I had pure faith that now. Now, I wasn't dictated by my outward circumstances, but I was more dictated by what I had in Christ. Pure faith. Because before, it was outward circumstances. But it's purifying a little bit. And that, that's just a little bit. <laughs> but it had an effect on everything. It had an effect on my life. It had an effect on relationships. It had an effect on every single thing. It had an effect on ministry. The fire is not fun, but we need it. It's beneficial. And we're going to see that coming up. So that's a preview of basically what we got coming up. So, hey, praise God.